Well, good morning. All right, let's get a really important question out of the way. Haley Rowe, how many days is it until Christmas? Ten days till Christmas. We have this on good authority. Haley Rowe, you know, just like they confer with the groundhog on Groundhog's Day, we have the number of days until Christmas with Haley Rowe. Uh, And uh, sure enough, now I did have to correct myself. I, I did say that from the beginning of the new year, there's 365 days until Christmas. And sure enough, many of you called me out on it. You didn't hear the rest of the message that day, but you got that one fact that I was wrong. So uh, thank you very little. Um, <laughs> appreciate all of you too. Let's get on to another really important question. How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Great. Some of you are very, very studious people. All right. Um, oh, here's another question. This is probably even more important than the last. How many of you have finished my Christmas shopping? Thank you, honey. You didn't leave me hanging. Thank you. Wow. Oh, you're still buying. And Walgreens is open on Christmas Eve, you know. So, uh, <laughs> Just remember, there's a $120,000 limit for that Corvette. So... Uh, You know, we started this in December, the beginning of December, because I wanted to really once again remember the ultimate gift that Christ gave us here at Christmas time, and that is our salvation. And in discussing the gospel and salvation with Christians over the last year, I found that many have a very shallow understanding of what it really means to be saved. And for one reason or another, they find themselves in that position. Some are new believers that are still growing in their faith. Others have been at churches where this hasn't really been a focus of discussion. And some have come to churches where salvation is talked about very meticulously. And they have all the theological details about salvation uh, down pat. But they're not living within the joy of it. And I find that there's a real balance between understanding the theological implications of our salvation in Jesus Christ and what an awesome gift it is and living as a real person in the joy of the salvation that Jesus has provided for us. So I wanted to see if I could encapsulate for our church over the four-week period of time the different dimensions of salvation that each and every one of us could walk away and say, wow, thank you, Jesus. That's really what I wanted to get to. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have provided for us. And as a result, we find ourselves today in our third session. And I find that this third session is probably one of the more important uh, dimensions of our salvation, even though I hate saying that because it would diminish the other ones by uh, simple comparison, and I don't want to do that. But I say it's one of the most important because I also believe it's one of the least understood. It's one of the least understood of all of them. And as a result, we find ourselves continuously uh, wrestling with the understanding of our salvation because we do not grasp this one concept. As we began, we said that our salvation has begun 
with a rescue mission. As Jesus said in the scriptures, he has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And as a result, he has done just that. And he has rescued us from sin, the consequences of sin, which is death. He rescued us from the bondage to the evil one. And then he rescued us from the ultimate punishment, subjection to the wrath of God. But he didn't leave us just there. He didn't just rescue us. You know, it's like if you're watching the new Disney uh, Star Wars film, The Mandalorian. He didn't just rescue little baby Yoda thing. Uh, He also adopted it and now taking it everywhere with him and letting him play with his spaceship. Okay, you're not going to hear theology taught anywhere else like this, okay? You know, do we all understand that it's not baby Yoda? Do we get it yet, Star Wars fans? Unless Yoda's reincarnated, think about that. Remember, there was an Eastern mysticism thing that we probably shouldn't be watching it anyway. (laughs) Wow. Okay, none of these people are going to Star Wars. None of them. If I see them at the next movie, I am going to say, hypocrite all, you know. But then, (laughs) you know, God bless you guys for coming back each and every Sunday, you know. You just, know, just don't know what you're going to get, especially if I've had two cups of coffee, three, it's over the top. But he, he brings us into a restored relationship, reconciles us to God the Father through Christ by adopting us and providing an inheritance for us, which we looked at last week. But within that relationship, something begins to happen. It is one of, again, I think the least understood aspects of our salvation. And it is often missed due to the fact that individuals who write these incredible systematic theology books often use this word synonymously with words like regeneration or restoration. But through the New Testament... Paul the Apostle, when writing to the Gentile church, that is, of course, people like you and I who did not grow up in Judaism, he kept telling them and using this interesting Greek word. He kept telling them about their incredible salvation that Christ has provided for them and that that salvation is working in them. Akiniodius. Akiniodius. A renewal. A renewal within the person's life. And many theologians, and I understand why they do this, they either wrap this beautiful Greek word, akiniodius, into regeneration. And let me explain what regeneration is biblically. Regeneration is that at the moment you become a Christian, the spirit within you that was dead until that time, not dormant, not just sleeping, but dead within you, was resurrected by the Spirit of God. And then you became a three-dimensional person. Spirit, soul, and body. I hold to a trichotomy position of the individual. Because I believe that the natural man is 
body and soul, and the soul is controlled by the appetites of the flesh. But then at the moment you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and you receive Him as your Lord and Savior, something happens. The spirit that was in you that was dead due to the fall of Adam is born again. It goes from dead to living. And as a result, you became a new creation in Jesus Christ. And no longer are you walking according to the desires of the flesh. Now the spirit, your spirit within you can have authority and dominion over your body. And therefore, now you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's through this that we worship God because we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Or the word renewal then gets wrapped up or uh, used in conjunction or synonymously with restoration. Really, let's talk about it in its final state, restored. But that is just that. It's the final state. It's the restored state of all things. And you and I know, each and every one of us who has ever taken on a restoration project, you find the project that you're looking at, you start the project, and before it's a finished piece of work, there's a lot of work that goes in between, isn't there? You're doing a remodel on the bathroom, thinking it's just going to be a couple things that you're going to fix and tweak. Next thing you know, your bathroom is gone and it's down to the studs and you start from the very beginning. Or maybe it's that car that you've always wanted and you found in the junkyard and and you're just going to do a few things to it. I'm only going to put a few bucks into this thing. But then as you get going, you're just enjoying the restoration process and you get all the way down to the frame and you, and you just have it pictured in your mind of what that car is going to look like when you're done. And nothing is going to satisfy that until you do it perfectly. But that's a long process, isn't it? Those, those processes can take weeks, months, years, etc., The renewal process is what happens the moment after regeneration occurs. And the Spirit is within you, is alive. And now a renewal can take place within your life. It's a process that will finally be completed at the end in the completely restored individual that you will be before Christ Jesus. But there's a renewal. Now, theologically, you may be asking yourself, well, is that the same as sanctification? Well, sanctification happens in two different manners. It happens what's called positionally and practically. Positionally, the moment you come to Jesus Christ, you're taking out of death and put into life. The moment you come to Jesus Christ, you're taking out of darkness and into light. That's the positional reality of sanctification. However, though, day by day... You're being sanctified by the Spirit, and you are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I should say, let me use a better word. You're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ day by day. So outwardly, you should begin to resemble more like Christ than who you were when you were in the world. Does that make sense? But how does that transformation process begin? That transformation process begins with the renewal inside of you. 
See, we are not looking to conform an individual from the outside into the image of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the Holy Spirit to transform the individual from the inside. When we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit from the inside out, it is a work that God is doing to bring us outwardly into the image of Jesus Christ. What's happening in us is eventually going to manifest itself through us. And in that renewal process, He is bringing us back to the original state of creation where He said at the end of all things that all is good. It was perfect before Him. We are being renewed into that once again. Now, practically, we're never going to get there here on this side of heaven. But it's a work in us day by day that God is doing. It is a work in us that gives us the power to overcome the most dynamic and difficult areas of our flesh, our old life. It is the ability to once and for all get past those things that kept us in bondage, that kept us into the submission of the wicked one, and allow us to truly experience real freedom in Jesus Christ. This renewal is so important. Akiniosius, as he would say in the Greek. And he's saying it to these Gentile believers. You are becoming new creations in Christ. And he says that in that verse in a finished tense. You are new creations in Jesus Christ. Now, positionally, that is correct. But then there's a second application or implication, and that is practically. Though positionally I am in that perfect state, practically it's still working out through me, correct? And so that's why we always consider each one here a work in progress, and therefore we ask that grace upon grace be extended to each and every one of us, because God's still working on us, right? And as a result of God working in us, He who has started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And so this morning I wanted to look at this incredible idea of being renewed. Let us remind ourselves that the Bible clearly teaches that at the fall of man there in Genesis, every aspect of the creation was tainted by sin and death. Every aspect of it. When I mapped this out initially and I was looking at the effects of the fall, there were four distinct areas that I focused in on because I felt that they could best be um, used as evidence for the introduction of sin. First of all, our theology, our understanding of God was tainted through the fall. Secondly, biology completely changed. Where everything was created in a perfect context in a perfect state sin brought imperfection to the entire creation this is what paul argues about in romans 8 when he says that the whole world groans under the weight of sin and that god is not just renewing you and i but he's going to renew all of creation by the time of revelation 21 and 22 we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth that have never been tainted by sin and death the third aspect that i find that the fall has dramatically affected is psychology the way we think as individuals 
And I will also argue that this morning we are going to discover that it's in our thinking that this renewal process is spurred. It's in our thinking that the Holy Spirit begins to work as the revelation of God is given to us through the Word of God. We then can begin to change in the power of the Holy Spirit due to the fact that we have new knowledge, new revelation that we now become responsible for. And we can then change psychologically. When we talk about physical death and all the physical diseases that come along with death due to sin and the introduction of sin, now I'm not saying that every person who is sick has sinned in some way. I'm saying that the ultimate effect of sin has brought upon disease and death and so forth. But today, many struggle with mental illness also. And that's a direct aspect of the fall. Not that every person who is struggling with mental illness has sinned in some way. Let's not go there. But let us understand that this is not the way God originally created us, right? This is all effects of the sin that was introduced through Adam and Eve and rectified through the person of Jesus Christ. And number four, the effect of sin is evidently uh, impacted sociology the manner in which our society interacts with one another and this is just the beginning and i believe that you can go further into this exploration <clears throat> but the renewal process in the new testament touches on all four of those areas it talks about our renewed theology and understanding of god it talks about our renewed biology that even though we physically may die eternally, we will live forever. It talks about psychology. By not being conformed by this world through our thinking, and therefore the world imparts to us their ideas, and now the world has been created with a mandate that it is uh, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, John states. And who has orchestrated that world society? The devil himself. And that thinking that Paul warns us about in Colossians chapter 2, the philosophies of this world that will cheat you, rob you. And the word rob there is that it'll mug you and leave you for dead. That's what the philosophies of this world will do upon an individual. And we're seeing that, aren't we? We are seeing that wholeheartedly in our society today. It doesn't work. Even though here in America we like to try to recycle ideas that have never worked anywhere else, such as socialism, and think that somehow, some way, that we can re-manipulate it because we're Americans and make it work all of a sudden. You know, after you teach everybody common core math, yeah, two and two don't have to equal four anymore. So socialism can work. We're going to provide everything for everybody and nobody's going to pay for it. Yay! Really? I'm finally going to get my Corvette. Because, you know, without that Corvette, I can't be happy. And the Constitution promises me that I may pursue happiness. Doesn't mean I'll ever find it. But this is the twisted idea that we have. You know, listening to some of the news articles and some of the reporting today and some of the reading, some of the psychological journals that I read, and I'm trying to understand, we're now at over 121 different genders. 
121 different genders right now. And as a result, we now have to accommodate all 121. And guess what? The list grows. Really? Because we have convinced ourselves that gender is not binary, even though it is in our DNA that we're either male or female. Well, really, we're, that's not the way it is at all. Even though God's Word says, I created them male and female. Well, that's not a sufficient enough. Because I don't feel that way, right? I don't feel that way. I'd encourage you to take a look at some of the laws that are being passed under this notion that are going to change the fabric of our society forever. In fact, there's legislation in some states now that want to allow young children to begin the transition process without the consent of their parents. Well, you say, how could that ever happen? Well, it's been happening here in Illinois for years concerning abortion. Guys, we live in a world now that we are faced with challenges and ideas, and this is the thinking of the world, and the world is saying, you must think like us. If you don't, you're going to be yelled at. You're going to say, you've offended me. Uh, somebody's going to let you know that, and then they're going to try to shut you up in any way possible. Don't confuse me with the facts. This is the, what the world is offering. And God's saying no. The renewal process it will help you theologically, biologically, psychology, and sociology. In every way, the renewal process will impact the individual's life. And that's why Paul was so, so excited about it. And this is why he could say what he did in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he said, Paul wrote, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is the beginning of it all. This is where the renewal process it begins and initiates within the person's life to allow such a work within the heart and life of the individual. Throughout the Old Testament, especially in Psalms, David looked forward to this renewal. In Psalm 23.3, he wrote that God, He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That restored is what he's talking about in this renewal. After David sinned in Psalm 51.10, he wrote, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And by the Psalm 103, he said it this way, of this renewal process. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benef all His benefits, who forgives all iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that you're 
that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And here he is looking forward to this time where God will renew all things as he promised to renew them in and through the new covenant. He's looking forward because he knows that one is not conformed from the outside. The law that Moses put forward impacted a person from the outside and tried to penetrate inward. And God knew that that wasn't going to be effective. God knew that that was going to be discouraging to the individual because they would never be able to live within the context of that law. So he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with man. And instead of writing my law on tablets of stone, I'm going to write them on the hearts of the individual. I'm going to take out the heart of stone and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh that can interact with me in the way that I desire to interact with my creation and allow me to renew them from the inside out. And Paul the Apostle moving into the New Testament, by the time he got done explaining salvation throughout the book of Romans, came to Romans 12, 1 and 2 where he tells us very clearly, he says, this is the therefore statement, this is the uh, conclusion to all the theological understanding of theology, that he, I'm sorry, of sal- salvation that he gave us from Romans 1 to Romans 11. And then he writes this, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And notice with me how that transformation takes place. By the renewal of what? Your mind. By the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says the only way you can respond to what God has done for us through Christ Jesus in our salvation is to lay yourself as a living sacrifice before God and say, Lord, take all of me. And a work begins in you. Now, Paul understands that we are still walking within a wicked, fallen world. And that world still has an impact upon our life. And therefore, he says, do not be conformed. And the word conformed is an outward source conforming something on the outward to make it look like what inwardly the conforming artist wants it to look like. So the world is conforming you into the image through your thinking of what it desires from you. The world is trying to say, okay, this is who we want you to be. But Paul is saying, let the gospel have its work in you. Don't allow the world to conform you, but you be transformed from the inward out by the renewing of your mind. That's what he is looking for. Now, how is the mind renewed? This is the interesting aspect of it. We know that a non-believer can read the Bible and not understand what God is saying. Because they do not have the Spirit of God within them, much of the Bible is blinded to them. In fact, Paul goes on to tell us that the ruler of this world has blinded the eyes of those who refuse the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the moment that we 
come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says that our eyes are then unveiled. And we have the capacity, because the Spirit resides within us, to understand the supernatural aspect of God's Word. And as we read God's Word, we are being given direct, special revelation concerning God and the world and everything that is in it. And then we begin to see things as God sees them. And as a result, he is now saying, let that truth, let that revelation transform you from the inside out. And part of that revelation is discovering that God's moral standard is certainly higher than the world's moral standard. But just because we live a moral standard in, the, in, uh, in line with Christianity doesn't necessarily mean we're a Christian. We're a Christian because of the renewal process that took place and the regeneration, the renewal, and of course the future restoration. Or as Paul wrote in Romans 8.30, the glorification. We know that that's what allows us to interact with God. The renewal process is allowing us know to understand and to interact and to uh, work with God. And to walk with God. And to have relationship with God. And to love God. Of course, as Paul said later in Corinthians, he says the natural man can't have that. They cannot discern the things of the Spirit because they do not have the Spirit within them. But you and I, whose eyes have been opened because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can now read the Word and be transformed by it. That's why we're saying, get into the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all important. In fact, read it all tonight before you go to bed. You know? And allow yourself to see what God has stated. I believe that if the Christian community in America would just once again rediscover the overall narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it would have such a dynamic impact upon the church that it would begin to change us from the inside out. This is why we read the Bible, because think of it this way. I find sometimes some of these illustrations to be so, so uh, accurate. That when you became a Christian and the Spirit was birthed within you, it starts in an infancy stage and begins to grow. And as it grows, you begin to change from the inside out. But to allow the Spirit to grow, like any infant, you must feed it. And this is what the Word of God is to the Spirit. It is food. You know, we do a great job eating here in Chicago, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. I personally know that I would lose weight instantaneously if I moved out of Chicago. You know, it's just not fair that you're surrounded by so many great places to eat. And even if you're not hungry... Schaumburg is designed in a way that you're driving down Golf Road, and even if you're not hungry by the time you're at Roselle, by the time you get to meet them, you're starving. Because there's just so many dynamic places along the way. And even when they closed one iconic place down, they closed our Fuddruckers down, it was, it was kind of a sad thing. I remember going there after high school in the 80s. Um, Fuddruckers was one of our stomping grounds. And another place just pops up. 
You're like, hmm, what is that? I've never had, you know, authentic barbecue Korean Indian food before, you know, or whatever it is, you know. But yet Christians are starving the Spirit. They believe that simply gaining head knowledge is what God is looking for in their consumption of the Word of God. That's not necessarily true. Knowledge is definitely part of it. But when I speak about intellectual knowledge, I talk about knowledge that simply is retained in the mind and never has an opportunity to affect the heart. When I read for devotions, I have mine at nighttime. And I let myself fall asleep digesting the Word of God that I've just read. And I'll tell you, it has really helped my sleep life, you know, uh, my sleeping. I can find myself being anxious, read the Word of God before I go to bed, just meditate and think about what God's Word says, and feel the anxiety being relieved within my heart. Simply by being reminded of who God is, and no problem is so big that He can't handle it, and, and there isn't anything that's too small that I can't bring to Him in prayer. And that He's always with me and He loves me unconditionally and He'll never leave me or never forsake me. And sometimes the passage isn't even speaking directly to what I'm concerned about, but it just reminds me of something that I need to be reminded of to allow myself to persevere through the difficulty in which I'm facing. And you know what? That's where the transformation takes place. Yes, we can be separate from the world. We can separate ourselves and congregate in a subculture within our culture and society, but that doesn't mean that we're transformed. God is looking for individuals to be separate from this world and transformed in the renewal process in which He begins in you to allow you to begin to transform into the image of Jesus Christ The word that is used there for transform is the word metamorphosis. It is a word that is used to talk about something taking a completely new state. God doing something brand new within the person's life. Paul said this, and I'd like to remind you of this once again in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. He says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Meaning if they don't believe and they don't understand. In their case, the God of this world, notice what he says here, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Notice what he says in verse 6. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Meaning that those who are blinded have been blinded by the ruler of this world due to their their, uh, lack of believing and trusting as Christ and their Savior. But Paul said something very interesting just prior to that. I'll let you... Uh, write this down because I didn't have it on the slide. He says, just prior to this, he says this. He says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses, this is chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. He says, yes, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil is over their hearts. 
But, he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, that means have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this veil can be removed the moment an individual receives Christ as their Savior. Now what's interesting to me is why, how God draws this new life out of you. And this may shock you. God draws this new life out of us through suffering, through difficulties. Why does God allow Christians to go through difficult things? Because He's drawing out of you what is already in you. And these circumstances will be the catalyst to draw this new nature out of you. Notice what Paul says, if you'll look there with me, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18, we have a slide. So we do not lose heart. Notice what Paul says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but to the things that are unseen, those are eternal. God allows trials and difficulties into our life, even those that we self-impose upon ourselves or those that He leads us into, to allow these trials, these circumstances, to draw this new nature out of us knowing that these are the catalysts, these are the workmen's hands, these are the situations that are going to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, how often when we get into a trial or a difficult circumstance, we immediately pray to God and say, Oh Lord, remove this from our lives. Maybe let us change our prayer and say, Lord, allow these circumstances to have their perfect work upon me and, draw, and walk me through these things that I may be more like my Savior in Jesus Christ. This is why Peter says that trials are given to us as needed in 1 Peter. As needed, God using them. As a surgeon uses a scalpel skillfully to draw away the old and allow the new to be brought forward. In the New Testament, the word testing is used. And it's a metallurgy term. It's a term that is used for purifying gold. When gold is heated and boiled, the dross comes to the top. Dross, good word use. Dross comes to the top and then scraped off. And what's left is a purified state of gold that is worth even more. That is what trials do within our lives. And lastly, Paul says, due to this renewal, let us not live as we once lived as Gentiles who had their minds darkened by the ruler of this world, but let us walk in the newness of life. For Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, he wrote it and stated it this way. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, that is, live as Gentiles do, in the futility of your minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in your spirit of your mind, once again, tracing back to Romans. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. He says it a little stronger when he comes to Colossians. Notice what he says here with me in Colossians 3, 5-10. through 10. He says it in a little bit stronger language, but the same sentiment. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists some of these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desires covetousness which is idolatry on account of these things the wrath of god is coming in these you once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away and he goes on to add anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth there are christians advocating that it's okay to swear as long as no one's around to hear you. Um, I don't know when any Christian is actually ever truly alone, do you? And if I'm not going to swear in front of my friends because they believe that to be sin, why in the world would I ever swear before my God? Really? Just silly theology. It's just, are you kidding? Now, let us all be truthful, right? My dad used to say to me, if you, you know, a person who has to uh, you know, uh, relent to a swear word has a very small vocabulary. They can't think of anything better to say. The second thing my dad always used to say was that you're going to swear at the most inappropriate moment. So someone who believes it's okay to swear when they're by themselves, which is a, just, just silly, You don't think for a moment that they're going to swear in a moment when somebody is around more speedily because they're already accustomed to doing it? Paul says, let this talk. Let there be no obscene talk out of your mouth. Swearing is not something that should ever come out of a Christian's mouth. And he goes on to say, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He's saying this is un- this, these, these actions are unbecoming of a Christian, someone who has truly been renewed and regenerated and is on the path to restoration. And have put on the new self. It's inappropriate. Which is what? Look what he says, the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the process of renewal. It is the most, one of the most dynamic aspects of Christianity. 
any kolosis, as Paul said. This is it. This is something so unique. And we need to be living in this new state in which God has provided within us. Yes, we're going to fall, and yes, we're going to make mistakes, and yes, we're going to do those things we don't want to do, and those things we want to do, we don't do at all. Yes, it's going to happen. We all have that inner war within us between the flesh and the Spirit. But let us understand that the Spirit can grow and suppress the desires of the flesh to the point where those desires are no longer wanted. That can happen. And it happens through the renewing through the Word of God. Let's close with Titus 3, 4 through 7. Paul, as he was wrapping up and ending his life, wrote to two young men, Titus and Timothy, who were pastors. And notice what he says to Titus here in light of everything that we've discussed this morning. He says in verse 4, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and what? Washing of regeneration and what? This is why I do not believe renewal can be used interchangeably with regeneration. Paul separates this here. And says regeneration is that new birth. Renewal is this akiniosius, which is this new thing that is happening within you. And I don't believe it can just be morphed into the restored position, which we'll look at next time together. By the washing of regeneration... And that washing means taking something and washing it clean to allow it to be used in a brand new way. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As William MacDonald said, Dr. William MacDonald, great commentator if you have a chance to get his commentary. He says, our new birth is also spoken of as a renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God brings about a marvelous transformation, he writes. Not putting new clothes on an old man, but putting a new man in the clothes. The Holy Spirit is the agent in the regeneration, and the Word of God is the instrument in the process of renewal in that individual's life. God is renewing you. And the more you allow the Word of God to saturate your mind and heart, it will be met with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God will begin that transformation process, that metamorphosis in you. And then as time passes, you'll be able to look back over the course of your life and say, you know, I didn't see it day by day. But now looking back over a year, five years, ten years, twenty years, or for some like myself, thirty some years, I can say I am truly not the same person that God found. I'm not that same person who God found at 16 years old. God has done a work in me that is completely outside of my own personal capability. I didn't see it day by day, and I struggled often. I didn't think that 
I was ever going to become who I am today. And yet in the realization of that, I still see that there's a long way for me still yet to go. But if God is faithful to begin the work, He says He is faithful to complete it. And that's such a blessed promise, isn't it? That's why when we look at one another here today who are in Christ, we're not perfect people, are we? No, not at all. We have hang-ups, we have flaws, we struggle with different aspects of life. And my struggle may be different than your struggle, but we're all struggling in one way or another because we're all works in progress. But the thing that we can be guaranteed of today is that work will be completed in you. He's not going to leave you half finished like I have many times of many of the things that I began in my home. When I moved out, my dad, when Dean and I were getting married and we were moving into our home, my dad saw that I had my suitcases packed. Well, in fact, it's kind of interesting. He was really helpful. When I got home from the rehearsal dinner, my suitcases were on the patio. Um, he's a nice guy. Um, but that being said, I remember leaving and I'm like, wow, dad, I, I can't believe I'm moving into my own house. And he says, you got everything? And I said, yeah, dad, I, I think I got everything. And he goes, you sure? Yeah, yeah, dad, I think I got everything. And you know, you, you know if I did forget something, you aren't going to let me come back and get it, right? You're not going to sell it on eBay right away, are you? Um, he goes, really, you got everything? And then he walked me out to the garage. He goes, come with me. And there on the shelves of the garage were all these projects that I had started at one time or another. And he says, what about these? And I said, well, Dad, I, they had their chance. They're just not going to get done. But God's not like that. You know why? Something that God imparts to my heart every single day. He loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. And he wants you to enjoy the newness of the life that he can prepare for you. It's the greatest gift, our salvation. Please remember that this Christmas, that you're being renewed by God through His Spirit and His Word. <laughs>